Father God, as we come now to read from the Bible, would you help us to understand not only what it says in terms of the words, but help us to understand what you're saying to us through the message as we think about it together in a few moments. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And for his glory. Amen. Amen. So, if you want to have a look at the Bible verses, they're on the second of those two sheets on your seat. Um, going to read together from John, chapter 3. And uh, as we've been doing now, uh, when it comes to Food Sunday, we had one, the first one last Sunday, the first Sunday in each month. Uh, we, we're doing a sort of a series broken up over a number of months called Encountering Jesus. And we're going through John's Gospel and we're looking at various people who have had some encounter with Jesus. Uh, because there's, there's important stuff that we can learn together. Uh, those of us who want to have an encounter with Jesus, those who have had an encounter with Jesus and we want to learn more, we want to grow in that, there's something here for everybody. And so that's my hope and prayer uh, that we'll get there this evening. So uh, John chapter 3, going to start together at verse 1. This is God's word. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This encounter with Jesus that we've just read about between Nicodemus and Jesus is all about this subject called the new birth, being born again. So we're going to think about this under four headings uh, this evening. We're going to think about new birth. We're going to ask, first of all, what does this passage teach us is new birth? What is new birth? Number two, we're going to ask ourselves, why do, why do we need it? Why is it important for us to know about it? Number three, we're going to ask, how do we get it? And fourthly, finally, we're going to ask, what difference does it make if we understand it, receive it, and get it? What difference does it make in our lives? So number one, what is, what is the new birth? What is the, the bottom line in this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus? Um, you maybe have heard the term born-again Christian. It's sort of banded around. Sometimes you hear it on TV, so-and-so, so-and-so, born-again Christian. Uh, maybe, maybe in your mind when you hear that term, it sort of brings up... Uh, the kind of Christian who, who's really, you know, uh, doesn't talk about anything else, maybe hands out tracts on the street. Born-again Christian is often someone who might say, uh, where will you go when you die? You know, these kind of awkward questions, perhaps. Maybe that's what you think of when you think of a born-again Christian. 
But according to this passage that we've, we've just read today, and according, more importantly, to Jesus, who spoke these words, to be born again is the definition of one of his followers. A disciple of Jesus is born again. You're a Christian if you're born again. You're born again if you're a Christian, right? Not a certain type or a special pot of Christians. And so for us to have an encounter with Jesus, an encounter that, 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 that changes our lives, then we must know what it means to be born again. We see this term come up in verse 3. If you want to have a, a look down there, Jesus answers, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus is saying to this guy, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you, you cannot know God, you cannot enjoy his blessings, you cannot step into his promises and claim them for yourself unless you're born again. This clearly comes as a bit of a, a shock or a surprise to Nicodemus. He, he takes Jesus very, very sort of literalistically, you might say, and he says, what, are you, are you expecting me, an older man? He's probably, uh, you know, a, a more mature in his years. Are you expecting me to go back into my mother's womb and, and be born again? Is that what you're saying, Jesus? So Jesus restates his answer again in verse 5. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God born of water and the Spirit. See, to be born again, according to Jesus, in these few verses, means to be made completely new, to become radically different, to have an utterly different life before you're born again. Well, just, be, just to be clear, he's not talking here about a physical rebirth, uh, such as this, the doctrine of incarnation that you hear in, in Eastern religions. He'll teach that you die and based on your life and how good or bad you were, you'll come back either as a higher creature or as a lower one. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Neither is Jesus talking when he talks about new birth. He's not talking about some self-improvement program that you and I can, can go on. He's not talking about turning over a new leaf or what, working on a certain part of your life to improve it. Jesus is talking here when he talks about being born again as, as a profound shift this new birth, being born of water and spirit. Let's just examine this term a little closer because it's quite unusual and it's not immediately obvious what he's talking about. Being born of water and the spirit. What does that mean? New birth, according to Jesus, is being born of water and spirit. But for us to understand that, we need to take a few steps back from this passage and consider it in the scope of the wider Bible. Water and spirit. In the Old Testament, you see, uh, quite often the theme of water is present among the prophets. Water seems to refer to cleansing. It, it refers to the removing of impurities. It, re it refers to being made pure. That's what water does generally, isn't it? it you, you wash yourself in it to get clean. And it carries this sort of spiritual uh, tone throughout the Old Testament, particularly in the prophets. Noah read to us from Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, gets exactly at what we're trying to understand here. He says, this is God speaking to Israel. I will, God says, sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. By the way, that's why we do baptism. One of the reasons we do baptism as a church is one of the reasons we use water to baptize people and not milk or wine or Baked beans. It's water because water carries with it the property of cleaning people, of cleansing them. 
So new birth is to do with being completely and utterly cleansed by God. But not only born of water, but born of the Spirit, according to Jesus. And this, this word spirit is interesting in, in, in Greek, uh, spirit and, and, and wind. And if you incre- increase, uh, include the Hebrew, which is the Old Testament version as well, it includes this idea of breath. Spirit, wind and breath are all pretty much the same word, according to the scriptures. To be born of the wind, the spirit, the breath of God. I read at the start of our service, I don't know if you caught it, from Genesis 2 verse 7, God has just uh, created the heavens and the earth and all the creatures in them and he comes on the final day to create uh, human beings. In Genesis 2 verse 7 it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. And what did he do? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and what happened? The man became alive. He became a living creature. Back to that guy Ezekiel again, uh, a little later on, he says this, this is a completely different setting. Uh, Ezekiel has received this vision of these, this valley of dead, dead bones, thousands and thousands of, of skeletons through this valley. And God says in this vision to the prophet, he says, behold, prophet, I will cause my breath to enter them and they shall live. And so the prophet command, uh, prophesied and the breath of God came into these bones and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. See, whether it's in the Genesis passage or in this Ezekiel passage we've just read, God is breathing life into that which was dead. God himself breathing life into our dead bodies. We can think of it in some kind of, as some kind of divine CPR, you know, cardiopulmonary resuscitation. They teach you uh, the basics in various healthcare professions, giving spiritual mouth to mouth. That essentially is what we're looking at here. The wind, the breath of God going into a dead person and making them alive again. So what is the new birth? It is a radical, profound shift in someone's life, which includes this complete and utter cleansing of all impurities and the granting, the giving, the breathing in of the life of God. It is cleaning and it is life-giving. And that is the new birth, according to Jesus. So what is the new birth? There it is. But let's start to think now, now we've got some definitions in our mind, about the question that Nicodemus really, under all that, wanted to know. Why do we need it? Why do we need the new birth? Look back at verse 3 again with me. Jesus answered Nicodemus in this conversation, truly, truly, I said to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Or in verse 5, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? You ask. The kingdom of God is is a broad and deep uh, theme within the Bible, starting from the very early days of, of the creation of of, of, of uh, all things, right through to the end of the Bible, the theme of kingdom is woven all the way through. The kingdom of God is simply this. It is God, the place of God's perfect rule, the place where his people uh, are under the king, the, the people of God enjoy his rule, they, they experience his blessing. It is the place where there is freedom, where there is peace, The kingdom of God is a place where there is rest from all forms of enemies. The kingdom of God is a place, is a realm where there is no evil. 
It is, a, it is a place where there is no injustice. The kingdom of God is profoundly affected by joy. Quite simply, it is heaven on earth. And the, the prophets pointed to this kingdom of God, this, this great realm coming upon us. The Jews at the time of Jesus and Nicodemus were anticipating eagerly the coming of the kingdom of God. It's coming soon, it's coming soon, they would say. It was the trajectory that all of the Old Testament saints were heading towards, if you like. So when we ask the question, why do we need the new birth? Why do we need to be born again? Why do we need to be regenerated? That's another term that means the same thing. It is this. It is so that we, you and I and everyone else, may secure residence in the kingdom of God. It, it is so that we may be guaranteed our inheritance in the kingdom of God. We need to be born again so that we can come home, that we can stop our wandering in the wilderness and come back to God and dwell, live, receive his kingdom. That's why we need the new birth. Let's just take a step back for a, for a few moments and again, zoom out and see, see something of the bigger picture that might just help us to grasp what exactly is, is going on here. It seems to be that we are, as human beings, if we go by the Bible's understanding of what it means to be human, we are created for the kingdom of God. I've already read a couple of times from Genesis chapter 2 that where God breathed life into human beings. And these human beings, Adam and Eve, the first two were called, lived in this perfect realm. It was a garden. Garden of Eden, which itself was the kingdom of God in its very earliest form. And they, they enjoyed living there. They were satisfied living there. They had everything they needed. It was a beautiful, balanced relationship between them and God, between them and one, you know, one another, between them within themselves and between them and the rest of creation. But as we go through from Genesis 2 to Genesis 3, we see that our first parents, the first human beings, decided to rebel against God's loving rule. They rejected his law. And then you have one law to keep effectively. You can have whatever you want, but just do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was their one requirement. If you do eat it, said God, you shall surely die. But we see they preferred to go their own way. In an act of rebellion, they went against God's perfect rule and his reign, which was for their good and for his glory. And instead they were ejected from the kingdom. They were, they were pushed out. It was effectively God saying to them, you know what, you're dead to me now. You're dead to me. I cannot relate to you anymore. Go out from my presence. I went to university a number of years ago, and um, I used to live with a, a guy from a Chinese background, as it turns out, he was, he was uh, bo born and brought up, he was more English than I, I am actually, but he was from a Chinese background, and uh, I never really got to the bottom of the story, neither did I try, but uh, he was one of three siblings in his, in his, in his family, and uh, the oldest sibling did something to bring great shame and dishonor upon the family, uh, particularly the parents, moving away to another country, I think, and, and, and having children and all this sort of thing with people they didn't agree with. And my, my friend, the younger brother, said that he was no longer able now to talk to the older sibling who had gone away and brought great shame on the family. 
because the family consider him now to be dead. He's not dead at all. He's in his early 40s and he's still, still going. But to the family, he was dead because he brought such shame and dishonor upon them. And effectively, that is what happened in a, in a much greater, much more profound way in the Garden of Eden. God said, get away from me. You are, you are dead to me now. Physically, Adam and Eve walked out of the garden, so to speak. But spiritually, relationally to God, that perfect bond was broken. It was disconnected. Relationally, they were dead. And the effect of this death was inherited down through the generations, throughout time. And so that's why we today experience every different form of this brokenness, of this relational death, the spiritual death. That's why we as people experience wars and conflicts. At the heart, that's where it comes from. That's why we see great injustice within our world, great poverty in all of its various forms, both here in our country and in various other countries around the world. That's why we personally may be more closer to home. That's why we experience relational breakdown between one another because of sin, because of this relational death. That's why we experience either ourselves giving it or receiving it, lies and manipulation from other people. That's why we are not at peace within ourselves, that we are, particularly in our generation, a people with inner conflict and turmoil, full of anxiety, fragmented hearts and minds, at war with ourselves. That's why we have bodies that are subject to sickness and decay and eventually physical death. That's why we see this great destruction of the rest of created order at the hands of human beings. These and many others are the effects of what it is to be spiritually dead. And so why do we need new birth? I think it stands to reason that the dead cannot perform CPR on themselves. Can't just decide to make yourself undead. We need more than just moral improvement plans. What we need as people and as a nation and as a race, the human race, we need a radically new life. We need life to come into us from outside, from a higher moral source. We need, in effect, what Jesus is talking about here. We need the new birth. But look, before we move on to the next point, look at who Jesus is having this conversation with. Up in verse 1, his name is Nicodemus. He is a man of the Pharisees. If you, if you, I don't know if you know anything from... from growing up in the church or whatever, but this word Pharisee uh, means uh, he was a member of this very strict sect within Judaism, very particular about law-keeping and, uh, and completely obeying the law of God. They thought that's the way that the kingdom will come when we're faithful to the, to the Old Testament laws and all that. This Pharisee uh, sect. But also he was a Jewish religious leader. It calls him there a ruler of the Jews. Or well, down in verse 10, um, he is a teacher of Israel. He was probably an elder statesman. He was maybe what we might call the reverend doctor in theology. He knew the Hebrew scriptures. He didn't even know the Hebrew scriptures. He, he taught them. He knew all about this creation account we've just been talking about, how God uh, brought up from the dust and gave breath. He knew the prophecies in Ezekiel that we've just been talking about. He knew, we can see in verse 2, that Jesus 
was doing signs and wonders and he was asking himself, is this it? Has the kingdom of God finally come upon us in this day? Is this what we've been waiting for? So just imagine the shock. This great man of theological learning and religion came to Jesus and Jesus said to him, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God, let alone enter it. What a, what a kick in the teeth that must have been for someone like Nicodemus. See, what Jesus was trying to communicate in this exchange was that you can see the signs, you can hear the words, but that does not mean you are in the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean just because you can hear and see these things that you are in a right relationship with God. You can see, folks, can't you, that the new birth is a problem, especially to religious people, people from a religious background. If we take Jesus' words here and apply them into more of a contemporary context, we can say that it is possible for someone to have been exposed to their Christian heritage somehow. It is possible for someone to be from a church background. It is possible for someone to hear the words of Jesus. Maybe even growing up, they learned the stories. It is possible for someone to attend church, to adopt religious practices, giving to the poor, and yet still not be born again. You can do all these things and still not enter the kingdom of God. In my spare time, um, I like to read some books on history. I try to, anyway, particularly uh, journals and, and articles about, you know, uh, many years ago. And I, I read one time the, the journals, the actual diary, if you like, of a man called George Whitfield, who was a, a great preacher, a great leader in what they call the, the Great Awakening, a sort of revival within England and uh, um, a bit in Scotland, England and Wales mainly, and, and, and North America as well. Uh, George Whitfield. At the same time, another man called John Wesley. The two of them were preaching, and their preaching emphasized time and time again the need for the new birth. The stuff here that we're reading. Whitfield and Wesley were famous for emphasizing this. But when you read Whitfield's journals and you, and you read biographies about him, you will see that he was a man who was under great pressure and, and, and persecution, even though he was preaching the good news of Jesus. But the interesting thing about Whitfield is that he was not persecuted by the government or some local militia in his village where he was from, but he was persecuted by the church. Because this talk of, of new birth, of being born again, was, was, was considered to be too revolutionary. Even though it came directly from the pages of the Bible, it exposed too much rot in the organisation of the state church at that time. See, this teaching of Jesus about the new birth, it just hits you in the gut when you hear about it. And it comes down especially hard on religious people like Nicodemus, who thought they were good with God, who thought that because of their religious practice or their theological knowledge or their church attendance or their good works that they were therefore in the kingdom of God. But Jesus says clearly 
and definitively, no. Ultimately, these things make no difference whatsoever to someone who wishes to enter the kingdom of God. What you need, says Jesus, is the new birth. And the new birth, as we're learning, is not something you can do to yourself. A corpse cannot decide to become living. Same thing applies, by the way, to those who are non-religious. And we'll see that next month when we look at another account in John chapter 4 of Jesus and, and a woman who was the opposite to Nicodemus in many ways. She was completely irreligious. So we thought, first of all, about what is the new birth? And we've seen it is, it is a radical shift in someone's life. It is, it is God doing something. It is the baptism, sorry, it is the... Uh, uh, the new birth in the water and the spirit. We've thought about why we need it and the effects of our fallenness and our sin and our spiritual death as human beings and us, ourselves personally. So thirdly, let's ask, how do we get it? The new birth is starting to sound good, maybe, to some of you. and We need it, but how do we get it? What can we do to receive this new birth? Well, there's good news and there's bad news. The bad news, first of all, is that you could do nothing. I think we've, we've used this metaphor of the dead body quite a lot. You can't do CPR on yourself when you're dead. There is nothing you can do. It says in verse 8, Jesus trying to explain the new birth to this learned man. He says, the wind blows wherever it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I was sitting uh, in my office on this morning um, it's in mcdonald's car park in newton Niles, and i go there for a porridge and i go for a coffee and i go and read over my sermon and i pray and i get ready for for this evening and uh much like it is this evening it's sort of uh, windy uh breezy i was just sitting there and i could just hear the the old leaves sort of scuttling along the ground and you know, i could hear the rustling just like this of the trees out the back of the, the mcdonald's car park rustling away and you can see the few birds flying around not not moving a feather really but they're, they're hanging in the air it seems just sitting on these sort of thermals you know the hot air and the, the wind um, many meters in the sky it stands to reason doesn't it we can see the effects of the wind but we can't see the wind ourselves we we don't know where it's come from where did it physically start and where does it physically end we just we just see it working around us and we don't know where it starts and where it finishes and Jesus is saying very clearly here, so it is with the Spirit of God, the wind of God, the breath of God. You cannot control it. You can't understand where it starts, where it will move, how it will come upon somebody. But you can, much like the wind, see and experience the effects of the new birth, of the Spirit of God. So how, how does that work? Two ways. Number one, we experience and we see the effects of the new birth when God acts when God moves. I think I've been, I've been trying to highlight this as we've been going along, but the new birth, first and foremost, is something that God does to us before it's something that we do for ourselves. God comes to us. He comes upon us. He comes to us from outside in. God determines and desires, I'm going to wash you clean. I'm going to give my breath into your lungs. I'm going to give you eternal life. First of all, how do we get it? The new birth originates in God. But secondly, and this is where our response comes in, folks, the human role is to hear God's word and believe it. Look down at verse 11. Truly I say to you, we, this is Jesus, 
We speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Jesus is saying here to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, look, you've, you've heard the stories about me. You've seen the signs of what I've been able to do. You've heard my teaching and yet you do not believe in me. Nicodemus, you don't see what all this stuff is pointing to. You, you hear the stories and yet you refuse to accept me. And you, Nicodemus, can't be born again unless you believe in me. You may have caught towards the end a slightly odd little story that, that Jesus sort of then tells in verses 14 and 15. He says to Nicodemus, who would have been immediately aware of what he was talking about, but we may not be so much. He said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus was referring to this time many, many centuries earlier, a well-known, uh, in, in the mind of a Jew anyway, uh, story where Israel were wandering. They hadn't entered the promised land yet. They were wandering around the wilderness. And because of the people's rebellion and their groaning and moaning, God sent a plague of snakes, poisonous snakes, to come in around the camp to bite a load of people, to poison them. A few people died. Many got sick. And then God said to Moses, the leader of Israel, he said, look, make yourself a bronze snake. Put it up on a pole. Lift it up for all to see. And whoever looks at that bronze snake, they will be healed. They will have their life given back to them again. They will have new life if they look upon the snake. And Jesus is using this as a sort of analogy to Nicodemus and saying, look, in the same way, remember that, that snake, remember that old story about Moses? In the same way that the snake was lifted up so that people would get life, the Son of Man, that is himself, Jesus, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And whoever looks at him and believes in him will have life, new, eternal life. In the gospel, Jesus was lifted up on a wooden cross for all to see. He was taken to a forsaken spot just outside the city of Jerusalem. He was made a spectacle of. And Jesus is saying of himself, projecting forward into the future, he's saying, look at me and be saved. That's how you're born again. That's how you can receive what I'm giving you. Don't just, don't just look at him and appreciate what he's done, although you might appreciate it. Don't just, don't just look at Jesus and, 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 and agree with what happened or that, that it happened. In the gospel, we're to look at Jesus and see that what he did up on that cross, he did for you. That's what it took to bring life to you. Jesus being lifted up. But that wasn't the only way that Jesus was lifted up. You see, on the third day, Jesus was lifted up again from the grave. He was lifted up to eternal life, to resurrection life. And then many days later, about 40 days later, he was lifted up yet again to heaven when he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. See, if you are to be born again, you need to believe the gospel of Jesus. You need to look up at him. And you need to be amazed at what he did. You need to be in awe of what he has done. You need to believe that what he did was, was for you, to give you new life, so that you can access and enter into the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus. 
the new birth is God's spirit on you. It is his washing of you. It is his cleansing of you. It is his giving you of resurrection life. It is granting you new life. And when he does that, it enables you to look on him and put your faith in Jesus. How do we get it? When God moves and when you believe. Fourthly, this is our last point. What difference does it make? What difference does it make to have the new life? Is it worth it? See, Jesus uses a slightly different term at the end there of verse 15. Whoever believes in him, that is the Son of Man, that is me, may have eternal life. Often when we think of eternal, we're thinking in terms of time, infinity, you know, an everlasting life that carries on and on and on and never stops, and it, it, it is that. But the focus in the, in the original Greek is not so much the, the length of time of everlasting life. It is the quality. Eternity, you see, isn't just a length of time, it is a place. Who is it? Who? All right, okay. Just round the side there. Eternity isn't just a length of time, it is a place. It is a future realm. It is the kingdom of God breaking in now. It is the kingdom of God so that you can taste it now. It is the kingdom of God that you can enter it now. And so therefore, the new birth makes a difference now. You see the effects of new birth in either yourself or in other people. So it's important to ask yourself if you're a believer here this evening or if you're not a believer, have I received the new birth? How do I know? There's another religious leader in the New Testament who is very similar to Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. He was also a very learned man, a theologically brilliant man. This other individual called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was pious, he was zealous for the things of God and we came to know him as the Apostle Paul. And Paul had great religious credentials as well. And Paul came to realise one day that his religious credentials brought him no way near the Kingdom of God. But when Paul was born again, when he received this new life, when he received the life that we've just been thinking about over the last half an hour, the Apostle Paul looked at his previous achievements, the things that he put his hope in, his pious performance, his learnedness. And as he wrote in the letter to the Philippians, he said this, he said, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I count them all as rubbish that I may gain Christ. So what difference does the new birth make in your life? It is this, nothing matters anymore as much as knowing Jesus. Because he is of surpassing worth, that is, he is worth more than everything else put together. The new birth you see is so radical, it is so deep, it is so profound that you can never be the same again. It loosens your grip on what you previously saw as gain. The things you hold tightly to. The things that you look to to gain approval in your own eyes. 
or in the eyes of the world or in the eyes of even God. So when you experience the new birth, when it comes upon you, when it comes to you, it produces in you release. It produces in you a sense of freedom, of peace. The new birth ensures a growing sense and experience of the new life. You know that you have been washed clean permanently. You know you've been filled with God permanently. That's the difference it makes. When God's Spirit comes and grants new life, he, he begins to grow fruit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He does that. He grows that in increasing measure and you'll see it in yourself. That's how you know you've received a new birth. Others will see it in you. They might say, you know what? He's a lot more chilled out these days. He's a lot less angry than he used to be. They might say of you, you know what, she's kind of happy these days. There's just something different about her. Not as easily riled as she used to be. That's the difference that the new birth will make in your life. And when God's Spirit grants new birth, he also supplies you with gifts in order to serve him and others around you. You'll want to honour God with your life. You'll want to live for him. That's the difference that the new birth makes in your life. Let's tie things together as we come to a close now. Allow me to get personal with you for a few moments, if that's okay. <clears throat> what about you? As you sit here and you listen to this passage, do you need the new birth? Do you need to be born again? Do you have the breath of God, the eternal life of Jesus in you? In a few moments, we're going to continue in our worship. We're going to pray that God will give you, if you want it, that God will give you new life. Pray to receive it, to accept Jesus, to look up at him, lift it up, and trust that that was him giving life to you. Maybe when you've listened to this stuff and this, this, this Bible text, maybe you have realized, perhaps for the first time, that you are outside the kingdom of God, though previously you may have thought yourself inside. Maybe for the first time today, or it's maybe coming home to you, that you realize your efforts, your practices, even the values of the way you live your life are falling short, that only God can come and give you new birth give you new life. And so we're going to, again, pray for that, for the faith to believe and receive from Jesus. Perhaps like Nicodemus, who came to Jesus in the dead of night, perhaps you come in today under the radar. Maybe you still have questions about this man Jesus and the gospel. Maybe you want to learn more. You want the space to ask questions. And if that is you, then can I encourage you, if you're not ready to commit your life to him this evening, just keep attending here. Keep coming. We're here every Sunday, 5.30, usual time. Keep coming. Be open to learning. Be open to listening to God, because that effectively is all we're doing every week. We're worshipping him, we're listening to him. Finally, if you are already born again, 
then praise God. Let's be amazed once again at God's grace, what he's done for you in bringing you from spiritual death to spiritual life. And again, we're going to close in prayer and ask for more of the Spirit's work in our lives, in your life, if you're born again, for more fruit, for more gifts, so that Jesus is lifted up more clearly, more amazingly, more passionately in our church and everywhere else in the world. So let's come now to a time of prayer as we close out. The guys are going to come up and lead us uh, in worship, in song. Why don't you stand with me, actually, as we, we pray. And we're going to come to a time of uh, Lord's Supper, communion as well, during our last song. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for what you've taught us through this passage. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for opening the way to the kingdom of God. And you did that by dying for us and by rising for us and by ascending to your Father's right hand and granting to us new life when we trust in you. Father, there are some who need that life, who, who need to be born again, and yet today realize that there's nothing they can do for themselves, that it's something only you can do. And so, we, Father God, we pray together that we may receive that new life from you. Father, some realize that perhaps we are on the outside of the kingdom when we thought we were inside. We realize that those things that we tried to do to achieve your favor count as nothing. It's only Jesus that allows us access to you. And so, Father God, if that's us, we pray for the faith to believe in Jesus. We cling to him. Give us the gift of faith. For those of us, Lord, who are not at that place just now and who aren't just ready to commit and, and, and come to you in faith, Lord, I pray for boldness, I pray for openness, I pray for honesty, that they may ask the big questions and listen earnestly to your voice, speaking to them. Father, for those who are born again, that you have done a great work of grace, bringing us from death to life, we thank you. And we pray that what you have started in us, you will carry to completion. Holy Spirit, give us more fruit in our lives, that love, that joy, that peace, that patience, that kindness. Send us gifts that we may serve others and glorify you in this church. We ask all these things because you are a good God and you give your Son to us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.